Welcome to Radio Free Bay Ridge, your hyper-local progressive podcast. We are coming at you live-ish, third episode in the new studio, feeling good about it. And we got one fantastic person in particular who we will be speaking to. We have the Rabia in the studio. I don't know where to start introducing you. Your Twitter (laughs) account says, A... Yemeni community organizer. I think we would go with the Yemeni community organizer. I need to organizer. update it. I need to update that. It's, it's horrible. It sounds very good. It's <laughs> We're just... over the 140 character limit, you know? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> what else do you do? Tell our listeners the plethora of things that you fill your life with. Oh my God, fill my life with. <laughs> I have a full-time job and I've got kids, right? But then I also have this crazy passion for community organizing. And that's what I do with the rest of all my remaining waking hours is organize, organize, organize. And we are talking today about an issue that is very important that is just swept in. We are talking about the Yemeni bodega owner strike uh, against the New York Post. They are no longer carrying the Post in their stores and people are starting to get excited about it. So I wondered if you could start us off with what sparked this incident as if people don't know. Well, you know, people don't know that this is not the first time we organize against the New York Post. In 2002, there was an effort, but we were not as organized back then. And social media was not the thing. Like we didn't have WhatsApp groups. We didn't have Facebook pages. It's just done amazing things in terms of us being able to organize. And so what happened was with this, look, hate and racist content is nothing new to the New York Post. I grew up with it all my life. Literally me being terrified that my friends would see these covers, you know, growing up with the way they looked at Arabs and Muslims and the way they portrayed us. So it's not new, right? But what sparked this in particular, the New York Post um, published that cover, was it Thursday morning, I believe? It was on Thursday. So uh, for people who were blessed to not have seen the cover of the Post, it depicted a picture of the Twin Towers exploding. And alongside of it was comments said by Ilhan Omar that some people took great issue with. Talk about minimizing 9-11, right? What Alham said, and I have to say this, as an immigrant myself that came to this country very young, English my second language, you know how many times I've said stuff that was lost in translation that was probably offensive but not meant to be offensive? I struggle to express myself in English many times. And I use basic words like place and this and that, like it's easier for me. But it's still very difficult for me sometimes. Sure. And I understand why some people may take offense to what she said. But it does not excuse whatsoever the sort of attack after attack after attack. And then the very next day, Trump posts his own version of the New York Post cover. What does that tell you? Fine. You want to publish this kind of garbage? That's fine. That's your damn right, right? But we have the right to say, you know what? We're not selling your paper. That's That's my right. That's my people's right. And we're not going to be a part of it. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So they published it on Thursday morning. We were all outraged. And I went on, we have a a Facebook group, like I told you, that has about 250,000 Yemeni American members. And Debbie Al-Muntasar, who is the secretary of Yama, which is Yemeni American Merchants Association, she had posted a video where she called for a boycott of the New York Post. And I was like, yeah, this is a great idea. There was a lot of excitement. That was just for the group. But then I decided to like tweet it. This is Friday. 
And within hours, it just went viral. When Chris Hayes retweeted it at around 10.55, and then the very next day at around 1.30 p.m., AOC tweeted about it. We knew that the Yemeni bodega owners were on board, but I didn't sleep that entire night because... I was responding to so much feedback and people trying to, and then we were also organizing, trying to figure out how we're going to do this. Sort of like what happened with the bodega strike when we're like, okay, we need to do something. We're going to organize a strike. And then within two days, everything happened. For our listeners, the strike you're referring to is the Yemeni bodega strike that followed the Muslim ban Mm -hmm. uh, in which... Yemeni bodega owners and I believe some Latinx bodega owners shut down in solidarity with the Yemeni community uh, for a day. The Muslim ban has been in effect since Trump took office. People think it's over. No, people are still struggling. Fathers can't be with their children. They can't be with their wives. We are still suffering from this ban. We called for a strike. At first, we were like a couple of hours, but then like, let's see, let's ask for eight hours. And you know what? My God, it was amazing what happened. They just came out. We had thousands of bodega owners close shop and just descend onto Borough Hall. If you know anything about your bodegas, they don't close shop. Like they're mm-hmm. always open, right? Yeah. You know, we have an Arabic saying, which essentially means that you may hate something and it may turn out to be good for you. And I think Trump is not good for us, definitely. But I think his presidency has been really good in terms of how it's galvanized my community. People that have never been politically active are now attending every meeting, man. I am so invested in local politics and I never used to be. I mean, that's what happened with the bodega strike. And I think that was the first time in a very long time that Yemeni Americans, in particular bodega owners and merchants, realize the power that they hold. Bodegas are thought of in a lot of ways the heart of this city. They're something that are constantly, as you say, open. They never stop. If they stop, you notice immediately. And so just to give some context of numbers here, we have approximately 14,000 bodegas citywide. That's according to the Bodega Association of the United States. Of those 14,000, over 5,000 are owned by Yemeni people. They make up approximately half to a third of all bodegas in New York City. That is massive for things that you see on almost every street corner. Between five to 6,000, that is powerful. Could you imagine if the other half joined us? That's what I was thinking. I was wondering, actually. Yeah, well, with the Muslim ban, the strike, there was a group that did join us. This time around, I was told that the association said that we respect what you're doing. We're behind you, but we're just going to sit it out. And that's fine. And I respect that. That's fine. But by the way, the post is not just targeting Muslims and Arabs. They are targeting all communities of color. They're targeting immigrants. It's not just a Muslim Arab thing. And so... If the association is listening, you know, this is also about you. This would pressure the post to get its act together. Do you have an estimate for how many of the people of Yama are currently working this ban into their stores? We knew by the time we had our press conference on Sunday that there was a couple of hundred already. We don't have the exact numbers right now. We were able to reach a lot of them online, right? But because we don't have the manpower to go store to store to find out who it is and who is not selling it, by the next day, like we had about four to five hundred. I don't know how many they are right now. Like from what I can tell, based on 12,000 followers on Facebook, half of them are bodega owners. There's a lot, by the way, that have also told us that they've stopped selling the paper a long time ago. 
mm. or they've been they've stopped it for a couple of years now or whatever. Which interesting. I was sort of surprised. Yeah. Like, yeah, we haven't been selling this horrible paper in a long time. I don't know if you heard about the Uber and the Lyft guys. So the Guardian wrote about this the very next day. It was I think by Sunday they had written an article where they spoke about how the Uber and Lyft WhatsApp group that's managed by my friend Mohammed Asabri, who by the way organized a bodega strike with me. And so what they were doing is they were spreading the word to families through their other WhatsApp groups and sort of it spread. He's the one that went bodega to bodega and took photos for me. Um, and I posted that on Twitter. That. And that was, I think it was Gothamist. So we had the press conference on Sunday. On Monday, I think he went to at least 50 bodegas. I would say at least... 30 of those bodegas said that they took them off the shelf. I mean, it's a process to stop delivering it. And I think it is necessary to be part of this discussion that the people buying the post are not the people funding the post. Mm -hmm. Uh, The post has a very elaborate funding scheme that does not flow from subscriptions. It does not flow from people walking on the street and buying the post. And that's how they make. No, they are funded by a very particular set of people. Murdoch's empire. And people who fund those people. For example, on my side of policy, the Post has never met a pro-charter op-ed it hasn't wanted to publish. So when a Yemeni business owner, and they are business owners, these people who run these bodegas, makes this kind of decision, it is one of the most capitalist American things that they can do, exercising their right as a business owner and an entrepreneur. Yeah. It is a statement as old as the First Amendment. And you know what? This is, they haven't stopped organizing since, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 2017, since that um, the strike. And I think they realize and they see how important and how effective, not to come out just as individuals, but as businesses. Yeah. We're learning. And by the way, there's a lot of Arab businesses. It's not just Yemeni Americans, right? We took it for granted at the beginning of this podcast. But the reason Radio Free Bay Ridge is talking about this is because we have one of the most, if not the most concentrated Yemeni American populations in New York City, if not the East Coast. And this affects us immensely. Like you said, anyone walking up and down Fifth Avenue knows exactly what these business owners look like and exactly what they can do, which is run multiple successful businesses that a lot of people depend on. My God, I am always in awe walking down Fifth Avenue. They're pioneers, they're innovative. There's such a hub of activity. A lot of them came here really with no real formal education and were able to sort of contribute to this American society. Capitalism with all its downfalls and glory at the same time, right? They're a part of that. They create jobs. They pay millions and millions and millions of dollars in taxes. We do have agency. We have power. Part of my job as an activist and that of other organizations like Yama and is to make sure they know this. You have power. You have agency, whether it's at the ballot box or whether it's your grocery store that you're going to like, hey, listen, I am not selling something or I'm not, you know, it's pretty amazing. So. Is there, from Yama or from you or from these bodega owners, is there something that they want to see from the post? You talk about decades of fear and baggage that the post has given to you. I want to make sure and want to make it very, very clear, okay? We are not against the First Amendment. We are not protesting the free press or the post's right to publish. It's a tabloid right now. Look, We benefit the most from free speech. 
Because we are targeted communities. We want the press to print and talk and question Trump, question the Democrats when they're doing something, question anybody and everybody. However, you want to continue to target my community in the ways that you do that, by the way, leads to violence. Violent acts against my community and against community leaders. Debbie Amontasar had a whole freaking week where she was thrown under the bus. Linda, my God, what, what is Linda, you know, Linda Sarsour, right? What do you want from the Post? You want to publish Muslim murderers, killers. Well, my freedom to not do business with you in a free country is exactly what I'm going to do. And that's it. But I don't know. It's up to them. What gets lost from the conversation is that these are small business owners. Yeah. That means they're dealing with the $15 minimum wage raise. They're sacrificing a lot, they're to be honest with you. When we talked about the bodega strike in 2017, a big part of the conversation was, can they afford to close for eight hours? Is it fair for us to ask? And they came out and they did. But it's at great sacrifice. These are small businesses. They sell chips and Pepsi. You know, it's a small business. Like, yeah. they're, they're barely making it. By, but you call them to action. They've shown up time and time again. And yeah, you may think, well, oh, it's only like 10 New York posts for a dollar sum. And they only make, I think, 10 to 15 cents after each paper. But what happens is for them, it brings business in. Like someone wants to go into this bodega, they want to buy their coffee, their bagel, and they want to get their paper, right? We all have our places. To lose their morning customers, right? Their breakfast customers. Yeah. I want them to prove themselves. At the same time, I don't want to hurt them, right? Yeah. Immigrant communities bear that weight already uh, without asking to be taken on Oh my God. So I understand. And the ban, we don't talk that much about the financial toll the ban has on these merchants Ask any bodega owner, does he have a family member that's stranded somewhere in the world, not even in Yemen anymore? They will tell you they're supporting somebody either in Djibouti, Egypt, or Malaysia. And that's a big financial toll on them. To travel back and forth, for them to like pay rent in Djibouti, so expensive. A one-bedroom apartment is like $1,300. In the middle, $1,300. And if they are called for an interview any minute, they have to go to an embassy. So do not see the travesty in the Muslim ban. And I'm asking you, all of you, as allies, to please, we need to get the Muslim ban back on people's lips. We need people to talk about it. So there was legislation, by the way, that was just introduced, right? Mm-hmm. Ilhan Omar was the one that introduced it. It is essentially to repeal Trump's executive order. Yeah, so you're talking about the no ban. So I've been, I've been tweeting with the hashtag repeal the ban. It's so important. We're all together in this community, right? I implore whoever's listening from our allies to our just my next door neighbor, Please, please continue to talk about this topic. I also wanted to bring up, because it was in the news, and while we are a not terribly time-constrained podcast, we do have to talk about the news sometimes, or at least I believe so. And I'm at the microphone, so I'm going to make that decision. Recently, uh, President Trump vetoed the bill that would stop American involvement in in the Yemeni conflict. Now we're in this situation where... Something that could have been made a little better was made a little worse. I am so glad. I thank you so much for bringing that up. It's something that people need to know. This bill, which was based on the War Powers Act, right, was a bipartisan bill. Republicans, both in the House and Senate, along with fellow Democrats, all came together and agreed that we need to pull our support of the Saudi war on Yemen, right? Republicans also see that this is an immoral war. This is a failing war. And here you have this president that ran on the idea of him pulling us out out of all these conflicts. And he doesn't want to be an interventionist and he's all for isolationism and whatever, whatever, all that crap, right? And what does he do? He vetoes a bipartisan bill. 
And this is where we are. And yes, I have to give credit where credit is due, okay? So Max did co-sponsor. The first vote in the House in December, Paul Ryan sort of introduced an amendment in there that left the intelligence sharing part in place. Mm. So they sort of watered down the bill. This time around, I really have to give a shout out to Max because I got many messages like, Rabia, we are hearing that Max is actually doing a lot of work behind the scenes to make sure that the Democrats, who, by the way, watered the bill in December, don't do that this time around. We had a really strong bill passed in the House and a very strong bill passed in the Senate. Surprise, surprise, Trump vetoes it, right? Yeah. You know what? He's got money invested in Saudi Arabia. Donald Trump is looking out for himself. His presidency is all about how much money he can make, how much money he can preserve, how much relationships he can create, favors he can get after he leaves office. Exactly what he's doing. Millions of Yemenis right now on the verge of starvation because of the blockade. It is unbelievable what this monster is doing. Yeah. But 2020 is around the corner. And my God, we have to fucking act. I'm so sorry. I cursed. You can bleep me. We don't care. This is <laughs> Good, a, this because... is an explicit podcast. Oh my God, you have no idea. Like I try not to because, you know, my mom taught me not to curse and I try not to curse, but sometimes I slip. And people don't realize how much the ban itself and the conflict are so intertwined. You sure. know, it's just horrific, horrific, the suffering. Uh, you know, our beautiful bodega owners that smile and you walk in and they joke with you, whatever. They're all going through a lot of stuff. Yeah. And that tells you how amazing they are. Like, they're, they're just, you know, troopers. It's, it's really sad. One last question here. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> what can our listeners, what can we in the studio, what can we do for our bodega owners? I have to start with really expressing how thankful I am of the sort of response we got when we started this. Our allies, Fight Back Bay Ridge, other Brooklyn. South Brooklyn Progressive yes, Resistance. Um, all the groups here, you know, we started getting like Fight Back Bay Ridge went and picked up like a box of our flyers and they had this whole effort where they're going to, mm-hmm. it's amazing, you know? I love the fact that I can be like, hey folks who are doing this, are you on board? And they're on board. Because at the end of the day, if you call on Rabia, I promise you, this is how I operate, right? I am loyal, I remember a good deed and I wanna do good deeds for others. And if you stand today, I promise you, we will be there, Yemeni Americans and Arab Americans and Muslims, we will be there when you need us. And so continue to do what you do. And I've been so inspired. Again, I have to say, I was never involved in local politics. I was always a sort of bigger picture thing. I am so grateful for having moved to Southern Brooklyn, to Bay Ridge. And it's because of people that organize, like Mary, this amazing, oh my, I love her so much. She she knows. (laughs) And all these other amazing folks throughout Southern Brooklyn that are so simple and humble and beautiful and strong. And I've been so inspired by them. And so galvanized by them. And I feel like I'm part of a family. Well, Ravia, I've not made secret my fandom of you, but I I will say South Brooklyn is better for having had you around. Oh my God, don't say that. I... No, I am better off having moved to Southern Brooklyn. And I've done, I think I've become a better person. Well, that's how community works. We all lift each other up. Thank you so much 
for being here. It was we were long overdue for a Rabia check-in. I'm glad we finally got Thank it. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure and anytime you want me, I'm here. I, I really thank you guys so much. Thank you. Fantastic. I hope everyone listening enjoyed our conversation with Rabia. We're gonna try to have as many of those as our time allows, uh, forever. But uh, in the meantime, I will point you back to our previous conversation with Rabia, in which we discussed the Yemeni conflict if you need more information. I hope you enjoyed this kind of shorter episode. We're still transitioning into what a post-Rachel Radio Free Bay Ridge looks like. These shorter episodes are part of it. Uh, And though we miss her, we're very excited to keep this kind of thing going. So until next time, stay free, Bay Ridge.